I'm in Max. You are listening to Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. I'm in Max. Pursuing the RPG hobby with reckless abandon. Why, hello, and welcome to Season 27, Episode 6 of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. I'm Hi. Stork. Oh, we say it in a two-part harmony. <laughs> I wonder... Scrambling here. I, I mean, we've been doing this for, what, four months now? Online? I wonder if we should determine how... If we should have people introduce themselves in an order. Yeah. <laughs> I think that makes sense. <laughs> I'm trying to do <laughs> I, I like walking over each other. I mean, that that makes for good uh, radio. But maybe if we did it in order, <laughs> it would be cleaner. So, I try to do it as it's as it's stacked up on my uh, computer, but uh, it's probably different for everybody, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know. It might be. Uh, this is Stu. This is Chris. Uh, I think I'm still Stork. They're excellent. In this episode of Happy Jack's Energy Podcast, Muddy Boots from New York would like to thank would like to say thanks to someone who changed the way he plays. Uh, Polish Ogre 8 sends us a plethora of questions, and Dylan, a DM from Wisconsin, is worn down. But first, if you'd like to email us, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. We have a forum, happyjacksforum.com. That's happyjacksforum.com. We also are on the social medias. Happyjacksrpg, all one word, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, and on MeWe. And if you'd like to watch the show live, go to happyjacks.org slash live at 7, 15, 18-ish p.m. Uh, Pacific time at happyjacks.org slash live. And that's that. Don't forget Discord. And don't forget Discord. Discord's awesome. Well, Discord isn't awesome, but the people on Discord are awesome. Excellent. All right. Um, oh, and, and it, I'm just, I'm going to mention it briefly because I talked about it a lot last week. Uh, my book's out. Um, you go to stewvenable.com slash mandite01, and it will take you to the, the Amazon page. Or just go to stewvenable.com and read what I've written about how hard it is to, re- to record your own audiobook. Are you gonna? Are you recording one? I'm trying. Oh, it's <laughs> really hard. <laughs> I have a lot more respect for voice actors than I had before I started. It's, it's being able to read literally like second time through and, and have a have meaning. It's right. hard. It's well, I, hard. I mean, I've got the I've got the you know the 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 whole recording thing right, right in front of me because I'm right. engineering and reading it at the same time, which I'm wearing two hats. But I'm like. No, I'm going to do that again. I fucked that up. I'll rewind a little bit. And say, da, 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 da. Yeah, that was better. And then I'll keep going on it, but I'll get stuck on things. And the other, the other thing that I noticed is I'll start reading a quote because you, you almost always put the attribution for your quote at the end of the sentence, right? Sure. Which is not where you need it if you're reading it to perform it. So th- even though I wrote the thing, I will, I will read through a quote as the wrong character until I get to the end of the sentence and, like, said, ah, damn it, I have to go back and do it again. <laughs> so it's these little things I never thought about, you know? Anyway. To highlight the characters' different colors. That, yeah, I mean, I, that, that's probably what they do. That They probably have either that or they print it out almost like a script for them. I don't know. They, they, they've got to do something for them because... I that think would I read that that was Jim Dale's technique because he went through with a highlighter and highlighted and each one was a each character was a different color because when he was doing those Harry Potter books he did like 13 or 14 different voices or something or And he did the and he did the characterizations consistently throughout the entire series. Yes. Yes, he won awards for that and sort of set the the gold standard for reading. And you can tell you can tell that most of the actors read his Read the, yes. the audio books because some of their characterizations are very similar to his. The, the guy that played Hagrid pretty much stole right from Jim Dale because right. even some of the cadence is the same. Right. But speaking of which, speaking of cadence, I I didn't get the document today, so you're gonna have to send it again. I will send it again. I didn't get the reading. I didn't do the homework. You didn't. Did you, you didn't get the papers? Um, does someone want to start with the first email? And while I'm doing this, uh, that would have probably have to be Chris. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that might be me. Okay, uh, saying thanks. Muddy boots in New York. I'd like to know the origin of that moniker. I don't Greeting- know. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Greetings, Boggarts, Grognards, Libertines, Libertinos, Liberdex, <laughs> and all of the wonderful people who help with the fan dance of respectability. This is Muddy Boots from NYC. Still waiting for the world to reopen, aren't we all? 
Let Stork know there are about 7,000 stagehands waiting for Broadway and the rest to reopen. Only some of the TV guys are working right now. Our sympathies and solidarity go out to our brothers and sisters out there. At least we are getting things done around the house and getting more sleep than we ever had in decades. Uh, I've had some uh, encounters with Money Boots outside the show, a couple of shared emails, and he does what I do for a living. He initiated a conversation. He works in theater on Broadway uh, as a stagehand, moving the scenery in and out and all of that. And, you know, with with, uh, COVID going on, there's no live performances, and it's not just actors that are out of work. There's all of that crew. So he's, he's with them all, you know, that, that was his job. And there is no, there's no, nothing else he can do. You know, it's not like they're, well, we'll just go do a rock and roll show. Nope. Not, that's nope. not available either. So sorry, carry on. And Hollywood is, is slowly coming right. piece by piece. Right. Yeah. We have entered a strange new world where carpenters and riggers are getting certified in lighting and video software systems, and electricians are learning to calculate trust loads, <laughs> all due to online professional classes. I can't wait until we get back together in the same room and argue. <laughs> I have a quick story leading to a question. Not sure how quick the story is. I saw this email. <laughs> Years ago, I had a player named George. He was the brother-in-law of a couple of my friends and a part of our group. He was a welcome fixture at our tables. George was larger than life. He was a big man, Andre the Giant Big. Between Swedish background and a genetic thing, he was six foot eight and built like a dwarf. He was a stocky chunk of muscle. He actually tried out for WWE and was told, we already have a giant. Wow. (laughs) He and Andre actually became pen pals from that experience and sent each other shirts. Wow, that's cool. George was one of the kindest people I'd ever met, and a joy at the table. If I said we are playing a Western game, he'd say, great, I'm in. Can I have a fuzzy sheepskin chaps? (laughs) I have fuzzy sheepskin chaps. If I said we are playing a space game, he'd say, great, I'm in. Can I have a bubble helmet and a ridiculously long antenna on top? If I said we are playing a space Western, he'd say, great, I'm in. Can I have fuzzy chaps on my bubble helmeted spacesuit? He dove right into any concept we threw at him. He was an absolutely awesome player and a literal a literal flywheel for the table. He never, ever, no, not ever, wanted to GM, but made up for it with commitment to playing well. Sadly, he is no longer with us, having died of pulmonary edema, which was a complication of gigantism. True to form, he died of a big heart. Back to the lead in the story. George did a thing that is a lot more common now, but I'd never seen it before back in 1980. He would take a sheet of cardstock and make a table tent with some basics on it. Stats, they go, uh, to hit. <laughs> uh, and weapon damage on it. But the thing that really stood out was that he would add a few sentences, like, I really, really hate goblins, or I don't trust easily, and I like horses. Sometimes, even with notes about relationships with other characters. I think Cleric is a pompous ass. With a long-running character, they would become complex personality maps, always written in first person. He was the first person I ever saw do that. I asked him where he got it. He said, I just started doing it because it seemed like a good idea for me. Another player I had in the same group would use scotch magic tape on character sheets where numbers would change a lot. She would write on the tape in pencil, then Matt finished, took the pencil well, and erased it without wearing out the paper. Hmm. That would have been clever in the 90s when I was fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A third player in that group would spell information on index cards and manage his spell slots as a deck. Two magic missile spells, two cards. He would even set the needed dice on the card and prep. Wow. Yeah. This was all back in the late 70s and early 80s. I know things like this were being discovered all over the world by isolated groups. Some of the things we consider normal now in many games were local habits and house rules. Things like backstory and throwing all the dice for an event at once were not common. We didn't have an internet and only a few zines to grow the culture. You could say we were low-number monkeys. All this leads to my questions. Do you have any simple tricks or methods of play that you picked up from someone else that really struck you as game-changing? There's a bunch of questions. Should I ask them all? Sure. Are there players who you learned from and chose to emulate? Anything that was so beautifully obvious and powerful that you thought, why didn't I think of that? This is probably a series of questions for those who played pre-internet. Newer players have the advantage of a ton of information, including the podcast. Still, I'm interested in everyone's experience. Thanks for doing what you do and being yourselves. Muddy Boots from NYC. Yes, I still think the show is too short. Back in my day, the shows were three hours and uphill both ways. (laughs) 
post postscript, what's the difference between God and a rigger? God knows he's not a rigger. <laughs> Trust me, that's funny. That's I, I really have to get it. Well, if you've ever worked in theater... I have, but uh, tangentially. So, you know, I saw the riggers from afar. Hey, Stork, you can turn your volume on your mic up a little bit if you want. If you just move it a little bit closer. There you go, that helps. Yeah, well, you're right next to me. Now, you know, the, 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 the GURP, I, I talk about them all the time, the GURPS group I had in college... Um, that was the first group that really engaged in role playing. Uh, I mean, we had, um, I mean, we had a, a few people would we would role play a little bit earlier, like in high school, and we played D and D and stuff like that. But yeah, not that much. But when we got into college, especially two two of them, Brian and um, Fred. Uh, I've mentioned Fred before because he played a. Uh, um, uh, uh, a woman barbarian and he actually role played the birth of his character's child at the table put his feet up on the edge of the thing like it was stirrups and did the whole birthing process but, but committed to it though right oh, not in a comedy way 100% committed to it and uh, and also Brian, Brian as well I, those two guys that's kind of I think when I realized and and it and it was it wasn't just them. Bill Bill was was a, a great role player too. And that and once I started playing with these people who are really good role players, it's like it just opened up a whole new world of gaming for me. Because before that, it was about killing monsters and taking their stuff, or killing space aliens and taking their stuff, and you know things like that. But it really it really became more more theatrical then than it had ever been before. And I think and that that definitely changed definitely improved my GMing. Because now now I've got players who are characterizing their characters and it's like, well, I, I gotta do the same thing. So it, it, it really, that re- they really made me a better GM during that time, I think. When we played in the 90s, we were really isolated. And I don't know if that's, that might be a common experience. But uh, it was just our group. And nobody else knew what these games were. And we had the one Walden books that had, you know, D&D and Rifts, and those were your choices. So uh, I don't know that a whole lot of innovation happened in those days. Um, I, I we, you know, we just we we managed Palladium rules by just chucking a single die, and and then like it worked, it didn't, you know, right. and that was it. Uh, so I, I'm not sure, uh, but I think that for me, one of the a lot of the innovations came post internet because that's when I started realizing how other people did this stuff. Um, and one of the biggest aha moments I had was pretty relatively recently when, when I first met Tomes, which was, I don't know, four years ago, mm-hmm. not that long ago. Um, and I saw how caring he was for the table. Like Tomes runs games in a way that's very nurturing. And, you know, it, it, the game that I sat with him was, uh, was Tin Candles. And it was, um, that may not have been my first game with Tomes, but that was I think, the, probably the first time I noticed this GM style. Where he he was your friend and he was guiding you through, mm-hmm. and he was and, and I've never been an adversarial GM, but this idea of like you are helping your group, right, changed how I run games and that that approach and tomes you rock man keep up keep shining. I was guilty of being an adversarial GM at times, mostly because you? no, well no, it's true, but mostly because I had a set way in my head about how things were supposed to be figured out, and if they didn't do it they didn't do it, you know? It's like, if they didn't take the one true path, then they were punished for it, basically. It's like, you know? And and so one of the big things I learned through Stu and through reading books and such is, it, it's, it was revelation. We were just like, just give it to them. And I think we discovered that maybe early on in our podcast. I think you kind of picked it up from Gumshoe, really, the whole the whole the clue of three or whatever, but yes. if it's an important clue, if it's an important <clears throat> thing, just let them have it. And it was like a revelation to me, like, yeah, why am I making them roll perception? Because then if they fail, I'm punishing them. Yeah, why, why don't they just give one? It's not going to break the game. In fact, it makes the game go. Just give them the stuff. And because you, you get so myopic and slavish to the rules, you forget that it's a still supposed to be a fun game. It's not all about randomizers and following the rules to the letter. Right. At the end of the day, you're supposed to have fun. And that is maybe the biggest revelation of my in my in doing all of this was 
Don't be such a slave to the rules. Don't follow anything to the letter. At the end of the day, this is supposed to be fun, goddammit. <laughs> make sure your players have fun, and make sure you have fun, too. I mean, doesn't that seem weird? Because I, I don't think that, that I approached the game that way. I think I, I was always so nervous yeah, about getting it right that I followed the rules to the letter. I certainly well, we didn't were taught to hide team. behind DM screens mm-hmm. and to keep our secrets, and, uh, oh, you didn't ask the... Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> that, I use that voice, like, too. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, I think it took uh, it took the internet for us to see other ways. Oh, yeah. I mean, when I, when I was... God, when I was in high school, oh, I was a prick of a GM. But, I mean, like, if you were able to kill the thing that was in the room, you got, like, a million gold mm-hmm. pieces, and then you well leveled up, like, eight levels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right then. Because more than anything else, we wanted to see what happened when you get to high levels. But we wouldn't just make a high-level character. You had to level them up. No, you did. Yeah, it was the journey. So, oh, the look, this giant rat had was sitting on a horde of a million <laughs> gold pieces. And you get XP for all of them. <laughs> and then you have to escalate the world to the point where you blow up. I, I've blown up at least three universes in my day because things just get so big. Oh, I don't Marvel even. Big. I don't even want to know what inflation was like in the worlds I ran during. <laughs> <laughs> um, some of the other things I picked up just along the way is uh, organizational stuff, like how to how you organize your character sheets. And I, I was at a game years ago, one of the early strategic cons, where they had those legal folders that folded. And I use them all the time now because you can put everything in your character about your character in one of those things. It's got little sections inside of it. And it, it revolutionized the way I, you know, have a character sheet now. Because I used to have just loose sheets of paper and stuff written on the back, and then I'd have another one with notes, and invariably I'd lose one. Oh, or you're all organized one. and shit now. And now, well, that's, I'm not that organized, but at least it's all in one place. So right. if I lose it, I could just lose the one thing. <laughs> but, um, and then, um, <laughs> I was, I used to, when we used to play Hero, it was always such a chore to count out dice. And somebody finally said to me, why don't you just count out tens? Right, and I'm like, I'm like, okay, so I've been playing hero for 30 years, and I never counted in tens. I'd start with the high dice and work my way. It's like, no, count out all the tens. I'm like, was it me or oh. Bill that taught you that? <laughs> it might have been because I learned it from Bill. Because <laughs> I did the same thing. It's like uh, uh, mm-hmm. this and that, and then I get out a piece of paper and start writing mm-hmm. them down because I had a shitty mm-hmm. memory. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then he's like, no, just count tens. Just pull out and you're like, of tens. And I'm like. <laughs> and I'm saying it out. I'm saying it out loud because I have a feeling there's other people out there that never it never occurred to them. Like, oh yeah, blink blink, just add them up to tens. That's easy. Oh yeah, I mean we've talked about this before. It was a totally different hobby when there was no internet. You were yeah. a, this little isolated pocket of nerds, not wanting anyone else to know you were playing these games because you get stuffed in lockers or what or shit. And 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 the the first opportunity you got to go to a game convention and meet other gamers who were interested in the exact same thing and realize that you've been playing the game wrong for the last yeah. three years. <laughs> it's like this is amazing. I remember running into like my first real role players, like, like you said, it was sort of a revelation. And since then, I've run into some really great ones. I mean, like people like Mac who get so invested that you f- don't know. If she's actually acting anymore, you're like you're. I'm like genuinely worried that I you think are she might upset actually be mad at me. me. <laughs> yeah, she, she almost brought me to tears on a recent witch game. And I was just she's, like, I gotta, I gotta hold it together. She really, she's so invested, and she gets so. Oh yeah. Um, well, I think we were the role players that we, were, we, we that we, that you ran into, and we didn't know about rules. We were like, oh, so there's a reason you have to worry about how much stuff you have. Okay, uh, yeah, that makes sense now. See, we didn't, we didn't. <laughs> We didn't role play or know about rules, <laughs> so everything was a revelation to us. We were fourteen year old boys. We just wanted to kick, you know, kill stuff and level yeah. up. Yeah, you know? and I that mean, was... you're trying. Can you imagine trying to slog through the the first edition Gary Gygax DMG oh. at fourteen? Oh. <laughs> There's right. no way. There's no way. <laughs> Well, go we through, really got into the, the champions and the superhero games because, again, being 14 and being in comic books, we really, you know, wanted to just be superheroes. And we played that for a really long time. And, and in hindsight, I mean, it, now that I'm older and I have stuff, getting stuff really isn't the goal anymore. But back then, when you're young and not don't have any, don't have anything, getting stuff was really exciting and important. Oh, yeah. Especially when you were blowing your allowance on expensive game books. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, you you were living out your your frustrations in your characters. Your characters were always wealthy. They had everything they wanted. Right. So, 
Now, my, my priorities changed, I guess, as I got older about what it is I want out of a role-playing game. Right. Uh, GM Radio Rob said, I'm not an adversarial GM, but I'm a control-freaky, anxious GM. I think most GMs are control freaks to an extent. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I know I am. <laughs> I, and I design games that like give up my narrative control, and I think I do that to get myself out of a habit or, or to punish myself. <laughs> like, really, you're going to do that? Because I can't stop you. Damn. I, I can't stress enough making sure that your that games books give the GM permission to to have fun and and ignore the rules sometimes because you can become a slave to rules as written and it can diminish everybody's fun. Yeah, and I think it's important for that to, for people to remember that not to the point where you're just playing completely loose and fast and you know house ruling everything, but I think that there is a point where you can just like remember. <laughs> this is supposed to be fun, and you know if we're following rules as written, it's not fun anymore. Yeah, I'll often when I'm breaking a rule, I'll often tell the table what I'm doing and why. Yeah, that's um, a really smart. So idea. you're not cheating. Right. <laughs> or, like this takes too long to do it this way, so this is what I'm going to do. We're all in agreement with it. Let's carry on. Yeah, that's my favorite rule. Rule zero. I guess we don't look it up it. at the table. Make up something and then figure it out later. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll take your way out of it. Thank you, Muddy Boots, for the email. And uh, you want to take the second one, or you want to take the third one, Stork? Oh, I don't. I can start with the second one. Sure. Okay, go ahead. Uh, a plethora of questions from Polish, Polish, Polish great, Polish ogreate. Okay. Polish, Polish ogreate. Polish ogreate. Polish ogreate. Oh, Polish ogreate. I'm really, really bad at those license plates, too. So, <laughs> Hello to the happiest of jackers. Or is it polish Hi. oh great? Polish. Oh, polishing versus polish. Polish oh great? Okay. We could spend could the rest either, of the day could working. Could go either story, way? But I'm moving on. <laughs> okay. Hello to the happiest of jackers. Hello to the happiest of jackers. I'm turning 42 this year and have been running games for about 30 years in various systems. I have two kids, a three-year-old, and a four-month-old. Those are the I, easy ones. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking about... They call it the terrible twos, but it goes all the way to four. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> well, really seven when you get down to it. Sometimes 42. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I run games at local conventions, my comics, uh, my local comic shops, and with my friends. Given all that is going on, I need to ask some questions of your hosts and the hive minded general. All right. One. Whew, I know this is. I know what's coming. I'm getting sweaty already. How did you make time for gaming with young children involved? Before my youngest, I was lucky to get to run slash play once every couple of months. Now I'm on hi- now I'm on hiatus until at least August. I would love to hear any thoughts you have on juggling parenthood and GM prep. Two. Should we, do one social- should we do them one at a time? Oh sure. Yeah, okay. probably because these are complete questions. Yeah, yeah you're right. Uh, I for me uh, when when uh, Robert was <laughs> of a certain age, uh, I started scheduling games at six in the morning and playing with a lot of Europeans. <laughs> Because uh, I knew I'd get at least two, three hours. Um, but uh, yeah, you just have to, I guess, identify your kids' patterns and then go and find a spot that works mm-hmm. outside of those patterns. There were a couple of times, I think, Stu, when we brought in babysitters. That- and we had one or one person watch because a couple of us had kids. So we came to somebody's, I think we came to your house, and I think my oldest, or maybe it was Tessa was watching the yeah, kids that's while true. we yeah, game. I do remember that, yeah. <clears throat> we had a couple of times when we brought, when we, when we, those of us with kids chipped in money and brought in a teenager to watch the kids while we game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there are other times, and I think Dave did this specifically, it may still do, um, the, uh, Kia, uh, CA Dave, and I did it as well, which is you just work it out with the wife. You know ahead of time that you're going to be gaming on Sunday, so you build up your points. <laughs> Say, I need to game on Sunday. I'll watch them on Saturday for four or five hours if you want to go shopping or whatever. And that way it's a quid pro quo. But you, As long as you can plan it ahead of time. But you're right. If you're doing more than one game uh, a week, it, it can get tricky. You know? I'm trying to remember when we did the old Eldemy game in D&D 4th edition. Do we play weekly or every other week? I don't remember. I think we played weekly. Okay. Alright. So in, in that point, uh, don't ask me because my my marriage ended in a divorce, so I don't know. <laughs> but back then, I think what we did is I think you would I think you your yeah, your daughter's older because when it, I just had, did some calculation, Allie was four and Zachary was two when we started the podcast. So mm-hmm. that's about how old they were 
when we started when we started the show, which is insane because Allie's almost to the age where she can drive now. <laughs> right? What the fuck? Yeah, she'll be fifteen and a half in December. But um, I think uh, I I do remember it had to be real clear about okay, we're going to game from this at this time, blah blah blah. The other thing I think that that w- think we did because my kids had a very early bedtime back then. Their bedtime was like seven or something like that. Mm-hmm. So they would go to bed, and sometimes we wouldn't start the game until like maybe it would get it, get have it, let it, everyone would start showing up around seven, and then once the kids were in bed, then we could start. Have to get up a couple times when they come wandering out because you know they decided right. to strip all of the clothes off of their Barbies and lay them in a pile and <laughs> all of that stuff. And like, we Allie, why are you wearing a swimsuit? Huh? Remember, with eleven people shouting during combat, we weren't very quiet. That's I mean, true. We That's kids true. Up a couple of times. Yeah, one but, thing that worked for me too was was and obviously you don't have a choice now really with the pandemic, but was online games was easier because they they start and end much quicker, and there isn't that whole lot of setup. Um, right. But yeah, Stu's right. I think really this is more about less about the kids and more about the partner. Mm-hmm. And if you can you just be conscientious of the labor that it takes and be sure you're reciprocating and everything balanced because um you know these ages are rough. Four months. I mean, that's crawling, right? I mean, yeah, not, it is almost. Yeah, usually pretty soon they get into rolling, and then it's over. Right, and then when they start couch surfing, you're done. That's when everything yeah. and everything fragile in your house moves up to a lot of like a three or four foot height. <clears throat> All it's, right, so, um, it, it's a challenge, but it, it can be overcome. Again, you just have to sort of scale down and scale back. Uh, you're right about online because you can. And there were a couple of times I think we were doing some stuff. God, what's it? Maybe it was this podcast. But I would have a kid in a crib, and I would be online, and occasionally I'd get up and check and come back. I forgot what that was. There was, there was, yeah, a, there there was a couple of times. Pod, it wasn't the podcast, because we always did the podcast here, live. Mm, it was something. I don't know. Um, well, more questions here. Question so two. Me. So, yeah. Let me, yeah let, me, let me get back to that. Uh, number two. Okay. Um, two. The number two. Outside of social distancing we are in, how do you help grow the RPG community in your area? Specifically, how can I help to encourage new GMs? My town has a lot of players, not so much on folks w- uh, willing to run. I tried to organize a GM workshop at our local game shop a couple of years ago, but that turned out to be way more work than I thought, and I wasn't super impressed with the results. We had a decent turnout, but the workshop really didn't seem to help encourage more people running games like I had hoped. You know, that's not a bad idea, you know, because they're, they're reopening. Our game store closed, uh, Game Empire, because mm-hmm. Chuck passed away. I think earlier this year or the end of last year, and uh, someone purchased it, and they they just opened this last Saturday. It's now it's called Odyssey Games. Oh, really? I drove yeah. by it not too long ago. And it just looked closed up and bleak. It was. Really it was. It opened Saturday. This wow. last Saturday was their grand opening. Um, so I mean, that might be an interesting thing. To, once you know, once we can do that, that would be an interesting right. thing to do. There is to have like a little like GMing seminar and get yeah. two or three people and make like a little panel. It's interesting that you say that because I was sitting here thinking the reason you started this podcast was to teach GMing. Yeah, there was a dearth of GMs, and and nowadays, you know, it's what ten, twelve years later that we've been doing this. Nowadays, um, with all this COVID stuff, I find myself surfing YouTube for hours, and I find myself stumbling upon these how-to videos of, of all kinds. I mean, I was watching somebody, you know gentle a horse today and i was riveted watching this girl go through the like, i don't know anything about horses but this but the video is fascinating so to my mind why don't you make some little home videos about you know write out a little essay and read it and talk right. about it and put together a little video about how to gm and post it and let people know and share it around the community because uh, you'll be able to say what you want to say people can watch it and rewatch it and it I find these things that more and more people turn to these things for information than they do anything else anymore. That's how. Not to make this the uh, the Tomes show, but Tomes um, <laughs> uh, started a uh, story story games Glendale a couple of years ago. That meetup, the meetup, yeah. yeah, on meetup, and grew it over time. And I think just putting the initiative in to listing something local goes pretty far. Um, obviously, you can't do that now. I don't know how you do that now. Uh, I don't know how to do anything now. This is. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's anything that you can do to specifically encourage people to GM in your area right now. I don't know. Right. I mean, Facebook it, marketing, targeting demographics. Right, right. Yeah, I guess there's that. 
<laughs> but I, I mean, I, right now, I don't know if there is anything you can do. I mean, I don't know. I just have to wait until it's over. Yeah. Um, it's, all the the meet, uh, heavy Metal Jess is saying they do the meetup online now. So yeah. it's Glendale folks meeting online, playing Star Wars. Oh, okay. Sweet. I need to join. I didn't know you guys were doing this. I will join I, it. I think they, they didn't want to tell you. <laughs> they, like, didn't tell me. <laughs> On purpose. It must have been an oversight. Heavy yeah. Metal Jess just let it out of the case. <laughs> she did. Told everybody so mad at her now. What? You went into Happy Jack's RPG? You told Chris? <laughs> What the fuck, dude? You have one job. <laughs> Someday, J- Jess, I hope to meet you. She's been oh, a she's long time listener. She's great. Yeah. Well, she came, I think she came. Didn't she come down to one of the cons? It was one of the I ones we she, don't go to, of course. Yeah, yeah. she was. She May came Con. to two, I think. Right? Didn't you? I think. You, I think she's come to two. I may have missed her. I think I've, I've missed a bunch of cons recently. So, anyway, moving on. All right. Thank, she went to Game X, which is the, the the main one. Okay. Okay. Thank you for all the advice you have shared about online gaming and virtual tabletop games. Do you find some RPG systems work better on one platform versus another? No. Hmm. I've just been using Zoom, and I've just Zoom works great. It, it, it's been fine. I mean, I, I everything no, there's no combat maps. Everything's theater of the mind. If I have to, I'll draw out a picture and show it to the camera and 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 say this is what the thing looks, the scene looks like, and that seems to be working fine. Yeah, that's my one caveat. Is that as long as it's not too mini heavy, if you're trying to play battle mech or something, or battle tech or something, which relies on maps and terrains and mech miniatures tech. and moving, th- there are systems for that. But that's that's a whole different learning curve, and it can be really complicated. So if you just want to do a role playing game and spend a lot of theater in the mind, that almost any of these things will work great. In general, I found that the more traditional the game, uh, real twenties, better. Oh really? Um, but uh, but I've been able to do a lot with Zoom, uh, just using even multiple cameras. So you have a webcam set up, you know, if you need to show dice. Or I, I, I played with um, instead of bringing everybody into Roll Twenty, I will um, screen share from Zoom my Roll Twenty. Oh, and then use it presentationally, and I can still see everybody's faces, and then I can just sort of like move their minis around for them, and you don't have to deal with all of the character shit. Right. My oldest daughter, who used to babysit for us, Stuart, we were gaming, is now gaming. And one of the games she in, she's in, they do that as well, because Zoom is built for meetings. Yeah. So they can pull up the dry erase board and draw stuff there for you. They can pull up, uh, like you said, they set up a separate camera, and they can screenshot and, sh- and drag over stuff from Roll20 or from other other sources. So Zoom is pretty powerful if you, if you go beyond the surface. Roll20 is also unbelievably powerful, and every time I've looked at it, I get caught up. There's a big learning curve, is there not? For, Not, for well, it depends on what you want to do with it. You well, can just okay. use crappy. Now, I've, I've used it for years, um, and I love it for D&D in particular because all of the published materials are on there. Um, and the reason I like the screen share option is because you can bypass a lot of the learning curve. My chart, my, ch- my challenge with Roll20 is getting the players on board, it, you know, that right. don't know it. And so I found that, just, and I'm talking specifically about the middle schoolers that I've been running for. Um, so I found that just by screen sharing... Um, but I have to actually have a separate computer for that, so I can do the screen share here and still see the GM stuff on my screen. So I can screen share share the player view, and then I can put in the maps and the effects and the minis and just go hog wild over here. And they see they see it on their screens, and it, it works great. And you don't have to deal with all of that interface. So if you as a GM go through the learning curve to use Roll Twenty, very powerful. Even if you just use it presentationally and you don't put people into the system, you just screen share and show it. It's Roll20, you can do minis with Fog of War and all of that, right? It's great. It's great, especially for dungeons and um, you know, setting tone. Sometimes I just use it to show a really cool picture that's supposed to emote the tone of the scene. Um, yeah, I, I do love it. It's it's just uh, not for everything. you know. Like I wouldn't want to run Great American Witch on Roll20. It would be a whole lot of waste of machinery. You know? Right. Because it's so simple, yeah. yeah. Good, well, good advice there. Number five. Um, four. I know the topic has come up before, but what are your experiences with co-GMs at a con or a one-shot? How did they handle the division of duties, and what did you think of the results? Do you have any thoughts on what systems uh, to steer towards or avoid with two people running? Uh, I've co-GMed almost exclusively a few times recently I've been GMing with uh, CID, and I love it, Um, especially with con games, because you can really cover a lot of ground in a short amount of time. Um, And 
it, it's also helpful in coming up with the con game and streamlining it when you have somebody else to talk to and bounce ideas off of. And like, well, we're going to do this, we have to do this. Because with the con game, you kind of have to map it out fairly tightly um, to make sure that you can give everybody a complete story in the four hours that you have. And then the division of labor tended to be uh, me as the storyteller describing scenes and, you know, and dialogue and such, and then Dave would do a lot of the the gritty number crunching, <coughs> dice rolling, making sure the rules were right. And then occasionally, if the party would split, we would just both go off and, and handle one party over here and one party over there, which was really, really handy. And then they would come back together again without us ever having to stop, and nobody was waiting around. What about so, the power struggle, though? I mean, isn't there like that? <laughs> Uh, no, that's my turf. You just stepped over. Today, please step back. We have a... No. No, there wasn't no you, you can't hate Dave. Like the two emperors, you know, like the West versus East. Yeah, the Roman Empire. Yeah, They kind of got along, but eventually one of them murdered the other, you know. But you got to find somebody you like. I mean, you can't hate Dave. He's like the nicest, smartest, funniest guy you'll ever know. And it's like, so if he takes over, you're like, yeah, he's being funnier than I am anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, I mean, that's how I've tended to make it work. And I... I, I liked it, but I could see like in a long campaign and stuff where things slow down or you have players that will spend most of the game talking, having two people sitting behind a screen twiddling their thumbs could get really old really fast. Although I did co-GM with, with, Bill. with a couple people for a large table, that gets real handy if mm-hmm. you've got someone who needs to sidebar. Mm-hmm. Because that one of the GMs can go take the other person, and they can have the longest sidebar they want. Because you have a whole other GM sitting behind the screen, and the rest of the players can keep doing what they want to do. Right, and then like like Dave would start setting up a combat, and I'd be handing him character sheets or dice or whatever, and so it was really streamlining the whole scene. Mm-hmm. It was it, it it could really make things go quickly, and it's just it's nice to have somebody there, you know. So like even look up a rule. Suddenly, they, somebody wants to do something, and like so you continue on with the story. Well. Somebody frantically looks through a book and finds it and then shows it to you. And it can really streamline and, and really make a game. But, and it's just nice to have a buddy there to, like, you know, st- uh, bounce ideas off of. So yeah. after the game, you go decompress and go, well, they all went left. Now what do we do? You know, the, the, when we, we, we did the Dead Rain, the little mini campaigns, like five, six sessions, D- Dave and I co-GM that. And most of it, I, so we, had a, we had a shared uh, OneNote document. Mm-hmm. And I went through and I just did what I normally do, which is sort of like brainstorm a bunch of like story concepts and stuff. And I had a, a whole bunch of different ones, and he kind of went through and picked the ones he liked. And then he made the characterizations of like the, there was like this guy on the radio, I don't even remember what his name was. Something Bob, I don't remember. And he like came up with this voice form, and it did this like really good characterization of the guy. And then, uh, but he, he, he basically, he kind of ran the show most of it. I did, I, I did prep in the background. Yeah. Plus, plus he all he he also knew the the game system way better than I did. So he mostly ran it, and I would just like. He's like oh, yeah, that's kind of how it worked out with us too, because uh, he was more familiar with the game system when we first started. And then, like with the five E game that we did, I had not played five E, so I'm like, do me a favor, make the characters. I mean, I have this great idea and the story, and I'll, I'll help with that stuff, but I have no idea how five E works, and I, I just don't have the time to run a bunch of games <laughs> right now before we run the content. So he, right. like you said, he handled that. So anyway, that's the division of labor. It just tends to sort itself out. You know? um, I mean, I can see where it wouldn't. I, yes, you get, the, ro- you get could, the wrong mix of personalities. I could see it could be trouble. Yeah, I think Christy, just, the, the people attracted to this probably wouldn't have those issues, though. I mean, it, that's, that's probably true. I mean, Chris, you were joking, but yeah, I could see that if you get two control freaks in a room and they both <laughs> want to run the same game, I mean, it, it could get awkward. So you really have to make sure that you pick somebody that you mesh well with. Well, I'm definitely a control freak. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not in question. Well, And I've co-GM'd <laughs> with people, but when I'm co-GMing with people, I don't mind giving, that, giving stuff up or, or compromising. Or saying, how do we want to handle this? I was thinking this, and it, it, I mean, I, 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 I think you can be a control freak, but you can't let your ego get in the way of what you're doing. You can't want to quote unquote win the disagreement with the other GM. Then right. you're going to have a fucking mess. Right. But I think if you're, if I mean, you know, I'm an adult. If you're, if you're both adult, and you should be able to say, yeah, I'm a control freak, and I like to run games, and like I'm going to create this world and do all this stuff, blah, 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 you know, as you do, and, and 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 then share it with someone else. It's like, well, if you're not, if you don't want to share it with someone else, don't do that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And if you're going to co GM with someone, 
I think I think Chris is right. It, it, the, the the kind of people who won't be able to co GM won't want to. And you also brought it up too in that you are also an adult. I mean, I've I've also seen you sometimes. Yeah, I've, I've seen you in your. <laughs> you say that you're a control freak, and, and you are. I am you, a control you, freak. You prefer to do things, but like you're in a band, and I've seen I've seen you bring in a song. And the band would completely change it, and only a couple of times have you put your foot down. But the most part, you just let it happen. It depends. It depends if I think they're making it better or not. If I don't think they're making it better, then I will say something. <laughs> well, okay, so therein lies therein lies the real hook, which is you have the you have the perception to step back and 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 acknowledge the fact that the song is better for all of this input. Sometimes, I mean, there, I, there sometimes been, there have been sometimes when I have allowed input and I and I regretted it because it's like that did not improve the song. Like we had a, a, a song that that had three verses, and someone wanted to do another verse, so they wrote a verse which used the exact same joke as one of the other verses I had already written. So we're basically selling the same joke on stage twice. Yeah. That happened a few times. It's like I'm a lot mellower than I used to be, though. <laughs> I mean, when we first started the band, I was a lot more of a control freak. Yeah, anyway. it's also just a, like you said, you're an adult and you're grown up, and right. I think so. That may be part of it too. Which I'm also is tired. Just, <laughs> Maybe it Old. comes from being an entertainer, which is if it, as long as it makes the show as long as it, it, it makes the show tighter and better and funnier, I'm all for it. Oh, sure. You know, I will. I'm willing to give up all this stuff because people are laughing harder. So uh, clearly, that's funny. Keep it or I whatever think, uh, it is. I think co-GMs need to complement each other's weaknesses. So uh, if mm. you are oh, a world yeah. builder, you're probably not as strong at characterization. And if you're a character person, you're probably not as strong as world building. And so that, that's probably why it could aid and. I mean, if but uh, conversely, it might be that you're really good at administration, but really bad at like performance, you know. And so, if you can just if there's leaning into the strengths, and then the other person compliments the weakness, that's the best way to make a team. Or like, if Uh, someone's really good, I haven't really needed to get a co-host, so we're pretty good on that front. It's interesting. It it, I've I I don't think I I think I can safely say every time I have co-gm'd, I have learned something about jamming. From yeah. from from sharing the responsibility with someone else and seeing them do something in a way that I wouldn't have done it, and watch how what happens, and and mo- most of the time those are posi- have been positive learning experiences like like oh those that's something I should adopt and, and and take into my own like you know bag of skills rather than oh this is a terrible he just did something horrible I'm going to make sure I never do that again <laughs> oh, yeah. so it's so as opposed to a, a grave warning it was a <laughs> <laughs> I, it's, it, it'd be interesting to hear what Dave thinks about co-GMing with me he probably has a completely different story like, like, oh my god like, I have to do so much cleaning up and oh my god this like guy doesn't know the rules he just goes through and leaves shit everywhere and I pick all the people you know, Dave, you just don't say, you're fine, you're fine. That's all he would say. Yeah, you, we right. would never know what he would right. no Until you get a few beers in him and you're cornered alone at a party, and it's like, so what's it like to GM with Stork? Okay, listen. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we still have one more question. One more. Um, what are your experiences with online convention games? Uh, what did you feel worked really well or what didn't? What things would you avoid? Thank you for all the great work you do spreading the RPG hobby. I really appreciate the exposure your show has given to new games and sharing ideas. Drink! Polish, Polish Hogger? Maybe it's Polish Hogger. Polish are great. Polish, Polish are great. I'll go with that one. Polish are great. Uh, I have been on two since the pandemic, though I've done more mm-hmm. before. Um, I think they are a lot like running games online. I don't know. I, there's a lot that's missing. Um, the reason I go to G- to cons are less about the games and more about the people. Oh, me too. Yeah. So, um, so I find myself playing games, but not having much in terms of you know I don't have much people time. And um, one exception was that it wasn't even a con; it was uh, the the awards for the IGDN, and we spent all of our time in Discord just talking during the festivities, and that was way more rewarding for me than playing online at a con. So, I think that. One thing that con organizers, Jim, if you can, if you're watching, could do to help this is to really create more social uh, places for social interaction above and beyond gaming. 
or like a lobby where people could just sort of hang out, like a big giant Zoom thing. Yeah, and there may have been that in the last Strategic Con. I just didn't know, but uh, they think that was one thing that was really missing for me on the online experience I'm, because I can do online games whenever, and I didn't really notice a difference. <clears throat> I could I could go to I could go to a, our, like our local game conventions and not play one game and have a blast. Yeah, and me have, too. Just have a great time. I mean, I mean, Bill and I went to Gen Con what three years ago now in the fiftieth. We played one game. Over four days, we played one game. The rest of the time, we were just walking around. We had we had a meet up at a bar a, a bar near there, and I got to meet about I don't know fifteen or sixteen listeners from the Midwest, and that was awesome. I, I way way prefer to sit down and meet people that I don't get a chance to talk to or have never met, had had a chance to talk to to sit down and just shoot the shit. I I do miss. Well, let me back up. Back back in the day, remember when you could just game for like eight, ten hours, or you'd like all weekend, you would just sort of like go to a guy's house and you would just oh, yeah. sleep out. And, get, and that's what a convention is like, where you're like, I don't have to worry about, you know, feeding the kids. I don't have to worry about going to work. I don't have to worry about anything. I'm just here just to do this thing. And it's kind of cool where you're like, it's just, I, I'm here to do this one thing and it's, I can do it all I want, anywhere I want. It's awesome. That said, I certainly am a lot more tired on Sunday <laughs> mornings or Sunday evenings than I used to be because I'm old and it's like, oh, boy, just, I'm done. I don't want to game for another couple of months. Oof. But it is really cool to just go to a place and that's all you get to do. I mean, that's what conventions are. And, oh. you know, the hotel has got right. great food and a pool, you know. All right. I think organizationally these online cons are really solid. Um, never had a step technically or organizationally i just think that we need more social interaction somehow yeah it's a it's it's a placeholder for an actual convention i, I don't think you're ever really going to get the whole con experience online no Not for lack of trying they're no. going to do the best they can i mean the the good stuff the good stuff about being able to game with people you've never gamed for that that that's always going to hold true yeah cuz you always true. you always learn that's always an interesting experience and usually a positive one when you sit down in a game with people you've never played with before, and you whole different playing styles, and I think that makes you a better GM, and I think it makes you a better player. To, Absolutely. To does. Uh, war- okay, thank you, uh, Polish Ogreat, Polish Ogre Eight, Polish Ogre Eight, Polish Ogreat, one of the, one of the four from Michigan. Thank you, worn down DM from Dylan in Wisconsin. Greetings, happy jackals. I have a quandary. What do you do about a player with an insatiable hunger for new characters in a long campaign? PC ADD. Uh, I am the DM for an every other week home game <coughs> sorry Canada um, of D&D 5e in a world and campaign of my own creation. The game has been going on for a bit over a year now and, the be- and at the beginning I laid down my expectations that I was trying to run a long epic where characters learn, grow, lose, laugh, and kill shadow dragons as a party over many adventures. All consented, and the adventure began. Now, to my PC-hungry player, let's call him Biff. Like from Back to the Future, Biff? Butthead. Butthead. Uh, I worked with Biff for a a week to fit his three-page backstory and his homebrew Dragoon class into my world. His drow female homebrew class recently awoke from a 100-year magic coma and wanted to find her elven wife. The first plot arc involved the wife and the PC's nemesis. Uh, The main plot was primarily about stopping a necromancer cult uh, which intended to open a portal to the abyss in, in an abandoned city. That sounds awfully familiar. Boy, I think we've all done that. Uh, they, f- they found the wife in the city, but Biff's nemesis started a ritual to transform the wife, then fled. Biff chose to save the wife from, the, from drowning in blood rather than get revenge. And after fa- failing some roles to free the wife in time, she was partially changed, gaining similar dragoon powers, but all feral impulses that made her a danger to all. They then went to finish their main task. <clears throat> The party disrupted the cultists and escaped by turning a party member into a brontosaurus via polymorph and, and carrying... That's like giving someone a, a freaking rhinoceros 
as a, yeah, I'm, I'm it's still just like the, the most D&D situation ever. You know? it is. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out who's playing the, the Dragoon wife now, whether that's a PC. That's an NPC. That's an NPC. That's an NPC. Okay. And, and, uh, and carrying the cleric in their mouth while using spirit guardians. This essentially made an unstoppable divine dino weed whacker. <laughs> that That's a very apt description. That plowed through hundreds of skeletons. After the escape, the married couple had one nice RP session together before the NPC wife went uh, left the party to figure out her new powers. In doing so, it allowed the PC to stay with the group and hopefully be indebted to the party who did help her find find the wife in the first place. But nope. Biff decided that the drow wouldn't continue with this party and got sli- sidelined for a new paladin superhero. This new pa- superhero paladin, uh, without any deity, any flaws, or any reason to join the party, didn't really mesh well with the other characters. And I was much less motivated to give this character as much personal attention in my world after losing all the work and seeds that were laid out for the drow. This new PC has lasted a few months, but now Biff has the itch again and is wanting to be an edgelord wizard <laughs> who killed his his whole family. I killed my whole... I have no family. I killed I, them. All I of love them. It. I love the, the women, the wizard. children... God, that's- is that is very it, presence melted them? <laughs> now is that going to be is that going to be a house a house ruled class? Oh, Edge Lord Wizard, Wizard. so genius! <laughs> wow. Uh, did, uh, One stat uh, is brood. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Who killed his whole family? I did talk with him one on one about my issues with swapping out PCs the first time and again this time. The response I get is. I mean, I guess if you want me to keep my current character, I can, but I want to play the new thing, and any time a game session gets dangerous, he isn't immersed, he just says, go ahead, kill me, I have 16 PCs on my phone. I don't even care anyway, you guys suck. (laughs) I don't want to fun block, or force my will on a player, so I've allowed these PC changes. Brief aside, Biff is in at least three groups that meet frequently. He GMs one of those games and has two PCs in the other. The DM for one of his other weekly groups is also a player in my game. He has been frustrated with Biff's greed for new PCs in his world and mine. Uh, it's hard for everyone to build up relationships with their fellow adventurers when they keep getting an etch-a-sketched by a rotating cast. Biff also enjoys large backstories that require me to make more world and NPCs for him, which is great, and I'm happy to do so, but not every few months. Biff plays his main characters well, and I would like to keep... I would like to keep them in the group. I feel like having multiple current PCs across many gaming groups should sate his hunger, but not enough to... but, But enough is never enough. Is there anything to be done? Do you have any GM tips and tricks to effortlessly integrate these characters or a way to keep PC-hungry players from swapping out, uh, swapping without raining on their parade? Much thanks, Dylan, the DM in Wisconsin. P.S. Do that drank thing. You do so well. P.P.S. Drink again. It's a pickle. We'll consider that, too. I'm not going to... I don't have a lot to say on this, but I, I like I like uh, I'd like to laud the other players in the group for allowing this guy to hog so much spotlight, especially <laughs> at the beginning, because it sounds like they, the, they spend an enormous amount of time on this guy's backstory. Which and everybody's got an agenda. Everybody's got a PC they want to explore too. But they were all really patient to let this guy go. I'm going to get two or three game sessions where he rescued his wife and all, which is really cool of the other players because. Yeah, it, it's cool that he has this great backstory, and oftentimes people come up with great backstories, but in fairness to everybody else at the table, you don't explore them, because otherwise everybody else is twiddling their thumbs and he's pissed. I've got it. I've got the solution for him. Okay. His next character is someone who is a victim of a necromancer, who has severed his soul from his body and put it in another another person. That's his character. But that connection between the soul and and the body that he's inhabiting is very tenuous and can change at any time. It's like the Eternal Warrior. 
I don't know what that is. Maybe he just well, like the he's on inhabiting new bodies. Yeah. And when the, he gets bored, he can go ahead and make a new character, but the personality stays the same because it's the same soul. How's that sound? That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I, I think that the systemic problem here is, um, oh, it's shiny. Oh, that's shiny. You know, I'm sort of wanting to. <laughs> yeah. And and that that behavior is never going to change. So. Um, one solution would be to to uh, to change the campaign structure so that it's done in arcs, as opposed to one very long campaign. Mm-hmm. It could still all be the same characters and still basically the overall thought plot, but you're doing it in like six week arcs. And so at the end of that arc, you resolve some of the things that came up, and then you can, can choose to continue playing these characters or make new ones. But it's all the same sort of momentum. And like, that's great. They could be working for like some I don't know adventure guild, and you can always another member of the guild going out on this quest or whatever. It right. Is. But maybe and shortening the campaign so he can at least commit to that, get through the storylines, tie up the threads, and then move on. I like that idea because then if they're working for a guild, he gives everybody a chance to maybe make a new character, reinvent, or they get assigned a new companion, <clears throat> and this other character can go by the wayside. And that way, there's no you meet at an end kind of stuff. Um, yeah, my, part of the problem is my, he might be like, oh, this is my commitment for the, the end of time. I've just agreed to doing this really long campaign, yeah. and so I'm now stuck with this character forever. And if you made it more bite-sized, then he would just be committing then to um, just that. Right, like, then, like a yeah, a mini-campaign, yeah. a chapter. Right, right. A I'm chapter. Sure. I mean, all the themes are the same, all the people are the same, but, but the, the arcs c- conclude. You finish the story, that part of the story, and then you move on to another arc. I think that might help. Yeah. I think so. It is hard on the other players who yeah. are like, "Oh no, now we got to go off on another side quest." Will you explore your character, a new character's backstory? But I can't. I I can't. I do believe that this this player is acting in a very selfish way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, totally. the, the first thing I mean, if I if I'm going to write a backstory, I'm going to make it as general as I possibly can, right? There's an enemy, and then he did something, and now I'm running away, and then, then something else, and because that way the GM can can take that and adapt that into what they already have. That's my preferred as a GM. That's my preferred thing. Give me a give, go ahead and give me your backstory, but give it to me in in, in general terms because I already I already might have stuff in my head about. You know aspects of the game that you guys don't know about yet, or you know, things in the world that you don't know about yet, that might really dovetail well with stuff like that. But to to require the GM, I mean, I don't think it's if you were doing it once and say I made a character and I got came up with a backstory and I really like the backstory. Can you integrate this backstory into what you have? And I look at it and say, oh, I can ch- change some stuff. That's fine. But that's a kind of a big ask that you shouldn't ask more than once. Certainly not every three months. So it, it really seems kind of selfish to me to expect that, especially from someone who GMs themselves. And I wonder... What's with all the backstory? I mean, why do you need so much backstory? Aren't you playing your story? Can't the story become the backstory? <laughs> well, and see, I think I think huge backstories is like like GMs who are who are railroading because they're 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 really writing a novel with other people's characters. Right. I think this is a sim- I think that's a similar thing. If you write a huge long many 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 pages backstory, it's it's almost the it's almost the it's scratching the same itch. Yeah, but then you never discover anything new about your character if you know right. everything about your character. So of course you get bored six sessions in because you've already explored every aspect of this character. Very good point. That's mm-hmm. a very good point. I hadn't thought of that. If you if you spend too much time and, and get rid of that guy's backstory already, there's no reason for him to stick around. It's like, oh, I've completed my character arc. Now what do I do? Um, I had a character way back in the day. It was a long-running game, and I it was a ranger, and it was the same guy with the wolf and all of that. But I would uh, his story kept evolving. He kept there was the GM and had some plan for him and kept making him sort of the focal point of the games. And I found out uh, later that some of the other players were getting a little miffed because it's like I always had a great time, and it, you know, and then me and the GM were having a great time playing this, this game together. But the other players were sidelined, and um, in hindsight, it's like so I had a great time, and I had a great backstory, and I had a great character, but everybody else also had it, but they just never got a chance to explore it. 
Right. So, in many ways, he's being selfish because he's not allowing these other players to go off and do their thing as well. Because I'm sure they would love to have three or four game sessions where they explore their backstory as well. So maybe no backstories. <laughs> yeah. We're just going to find you out. We're going to play to find out who this character is. And mm-hmm. then you won't get bored. Try that. Yeah, that's, not a, that, that, that's a pretty good idea. I mean, have him just make a character. And it's like, no, all you know is his name. We're going we're gonna to figure out who this guy was. As the story goes on, going yeah. to the little village where his parents were slain, and he didn't even remember it because he was only two. Yeah, and the Mandalorian <laughs> came and took him. Right, and <laughs> showed him the way. <laughs> oh my god, I can't wait for the second season. That show was so good. It was so good. It was everything a, a Star Wars fan wants. It's a western. Everything. It was a man with no name. They it was awesome. It. Oh yeah, loved it. It was a total Clint Eastwood. Uh, you know. Uh, Big Eddie West and uh, yeah, big was, it, was it Lone Wolf and Cub, but yeah. without, without as much blood. <laughs> I seem to recall, the, recall those were being awfully bloody. Yeah, I didn't know you read the, any of those, or was it? Did you watch the there movies? There's movies. Yeah, there was actually one that was released, but it wasn't called that. It was called something else. The Baby Carriage Samurai. That's it. That was it. It is with the with the knives that came out from the wheel and yeah. lopped off all the legs of the guys as it went by. <laughs> oh, I, have to look this up. I loved that when I was twelve. <laughs> the uh, it's based on an original manga, and it's it's a fascinating manga. It's about the guy who was a a, a lead samurai, and he gets fall from grace, but he has a child, and so he's a, a ronin, and he wanders the land with his kid in tow. And sometimes he has a carriage, and sometimes he's just carrying the kid around. And that's why it's a lone wolf because he's running and cup is right. Kid. And you know, see, they should have had a- nothing ever pleasant happens to him. He gets jumped and attacked, and it is. It's like a western. It would be like again, it'd be like Clint Eastwood's character with his with a baby. You know? <laughs> see, they need to dovetail that with Zatoichi. <laughs> yeah, I would love to see that. There's, that's probably out there. I haven't explored a bunch. Of, you know, there's there is a Zatoichi. Years of Japanese uh, samurai movies that we haven't actually ever watched, so I'm sure that something like that's out there. There was a Toshiro Mifune game. Uh, game. There was a Toshiro Mifune movie. Was it Yojimbo? And I think they made a crossover. I think it was Yojimbo, and they made Zatoichi and Yojimbo or something like that. I, I seem to that think. Sounds I don't familiar, yeah. But, he's amazing. Oh, so, oh, Toshiro Mifune. Watching, he's got that it factor that that yeah, people yeah. have. Well, you just can't take your eyes off him, and I can't tell you what it is he does that makes him so great. But he's awesome. He's just got that charisma that comes through the screen. It's astonishing. He's just great. Was, was, was. yeah. All those, all those guys. Are all right. Uh, anything else? Anyone want to mention anything? Uh, I do have a Kickstarter coming. Oh yeah, talk about your Kickstarter. Dude. I can't can't not talk about that. Go. I am a marketer. Um, I have a Kickstarter coming on August 10th, which is Monday. This is for Great American Witch. Hopefully you've been watching the cast. It's been a lot of fun. What an amazing story. Um, We are looking at a two-week campaign. That's it. So this is a one and done. The game's all ready, just recouping costs, and want you to come and play it. So I hope you come and check it out. And and they can find that where? Uh, Right now, it's a preview on Kickstarter, but you can see all of the information at greatamericanwitch.com. Excellent. Very it's cool. a great game. Uh, when Happy Jackers play it, I hope it's a great game for you. <laughs> uh, I played it once. I think when yeah. it was still still in its formative years, and I actually yeah. had a really great time. I really love the concept. It's uh, it's it's a lot of fun. It's the kind of game I love to run. So I hope uh, hope people come and join and check out the check out the uh, actual play if you haven't yet. It's been really really good. That cast is amazing. Like, they do all of the work. I just sit there and sort of, you know, watch and fanboy them sometimes but yeah they, really really great game yeah, you know, that's what Stu says is the best part about the Happy Jack community when he runs yeah. a game he's like he'll kick back and just go go guys go it's, it's, it's a lot, le- a lot less work me. running games here uh, let me tell you <laughs> <laughs> it is and, I, and I'm, I'm happy for it um, okay uh, oh um, for for the five people who've read my book that I just finished the sequel I'm, I'm doing the second writing pass through it right now um, in fact that's why we were slight, late to start so, all right. Uh, that's it. Anything else? Going once, twice. I'll okay. get three times a leader. <laughs> well, 
Thank you for joining us for season 27, episode 6 of Happy Technology Podcast. My name is Stu. I am Chris. I'm Stork. And we'll see you next week, 7 p.m. Pacific Time, happychecks.org slash live. Thank you very much for joining us, and we'll see you in a week. From Michigan to Australia and maybe East Timor. Why probably it's really no problem having to go dungeons and dragons. Hero can find a fatal savage land. Why problem make when you no problem have you don't want to make? The preceding program has been a presentation of the Angry Folk Media Empire.